Support for IPR comes from Orchestra Iowa, presenting Pops on the River, an outdoor concert experience with songs from the Eagles featuring the Seven Bridges Band and the entire symphony. June 1st at McGrath Amphitheater. Tickets at orchestraiowa.com. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Today is the very first George Washington Carver Day in Iowa. Last June, Governor Reynolds signed a bill that designated every February 1st as George Washington Carver Day. Carver is only the third person to be honored this way in the state of Iowa. The others are Herbert Hoover and Norman Borlaug. We are marking this day with a conversation about Carver's life and his legacy. George Washington Carver was a botanist who revolutionized agriculture in the South and came up with almost 300 uses for peanuts and many more for soybeans, pecans, and sweet potatoes. He was born into slavery in Diamond, Missouri in 1860, then known as Diamond Grove. As a young boy, Carver developed a love of learning, and he went to incredible lengths to pursue an education. His pursuit of an education eventually brought him to Iowa, where he was the first black student at Simpson College and then the first black student and first black faculty member at Iowa State University. And he is remembered for his ingenuity, kindness, and dedication. Later in the hour, we'll explore some of Carver's legacy with Andrew Manu, retired George Washington Carver Endowed Chair and Professor Emeritus at Iowa State University. With me now is a man who has been inspired by Carver in many powerful ways. Paxton Williams is an attorney at Bell & McCormick Law Firm in Des Moines. He is the former executive director of the George Washington Carver Birthplace Association in Diamond, Missouri. He's done a great deal of research and writing about Carver's life. And since 2000, he has portrayed George Washington Carver over 400 times in 24 U.S. states and England. Paxton, hello. Hello, Charity. So happy to be with you. Well, it is wonderful to have you back on the show again. And I want you to take us back to when you were in college. You went to Iowa State University, and although you had heard of George Washington Carver before you went to Iowa State University, it was there that you really started to learn about him. Tell me about when you made this connection. So I took an honor seminar taught by Sandy McNabb. He was a professor uh, in plant pathology and forestry, university professor, uh, and he had been inspired by Carver since uh, Sandy was in the fifth grade uh, in Nebraska. And so Sandy just loved Carver's story, and he, I think, really wanted the class to, to learn to love Carver like he loved him. And it was in that course, really, that I just learned so much about him. You know, I learned the uh, extraordinarily uh, diverse experiences that he had, uh, the magnitude of his genius, and that's really what just inspired me to continue to learn more about him. And that inspiration led you not just to learn more about him, but to actually write a, a play where you could portray him. Tell me about that. So, you know, I like to think that Sandy uh, was really slick, Sandy McNabb. So I think one reason why he taught you know, this course was because he really used to enjoy traveling around, speaking about Carver. And as he, you know, he realized he was getting older. And so he wanted, I think, to inspire a new generation uh, to do what he did. And so uh, I was in the honors program and I had to do an honors project. And it was actually Sandy who said to me, oh, maybe you should write a play about Carver. And then he even said, oh, maybe you should reach out to theater professor Jane Cox and see if she would be willing to assist you with it. 
And that's kind of how it happened. And so uh, I didn't know Jane Cox. I just happened to see her one day in the Memorial Union, and I was aware of who she was. Uh, I think by that point I'd seen a number of her one-woman shows, and I just walked up to her and introduced myself and uh, asked if I could come see her in her office. She told me where her office was, and uh, about a week later I went to see her, and that's kind of how it all started. (laughs) Well, since you know so much about George Washington Carver, that's why we've invited you to, to really help us explore his life and understand this truly remarkable man. And I do want to go back to the beginning. He was born in 1860, and he was born into slavery. He was a, a child of a woman who was enslaved by the Carver family that they lived near Diamond, Missouri, or Diamond Grove, Missouri. And the story of George Washington Carver often begins not so much with his birth, but with a terrible, terrible event that came shortly after his birth where he and his mother were kidnapped. Tell me about that. Yeah, so, well, let me back up and just briefly say, I typically say he was born circa uh, 18... uh, the early 1860s, because we're not exactly certain when he was born. Sure. Uh, and so, you know, you'll find lots of different uh, articles uh, surmising when he might have actually been born, but we're, we're not exactly certain. And I think that's so very interesting because, you know, we often think about our birthdays as, as being special to us, you know, a, a particular day, you know, where we know where we came into this world. You know, he did not know that actual day. Uh, and so I, I think that was something that, uh, you know, he would write about later, and it, it kind of informed his sense of wonder and awe uh, about life in general, you know, just kind of not knowing some of that basic origin uh, facts, you know, some of the basic origin facts that many of us, you know, do know. Uh, now, so it's so fascinating that, you know, when he was just a toddler, uh, he and his mother, uh, they, were abduct- uh, they were abducted by these outlaws, and we believe the supposed reason was so that they could be resold into slavery. And you know, this was during the time of the waning days of the Civil War that he was abducted. And uh, there's just a, you know, a real uh, sense of, of fortune involved in this story because uh, George's mother was never found, but then George was found. And the Carvers actually had hired a man uh, by the name of Mr. Bentley to go uh, look for George and his mother. And he was not able to find George's mother but he found George in Northwest Arkansas, and George was uh, very sickly when they when they brought him back, and uh, you know the Carvers helped nurse him back to to better health. So he lived with the Carvers, and they owned his mother, which of course was was legal at the time, but. So often it is said that the Carvers raised George and his brother Jim as if they were their own children. Do you feel like that's accurate? I do think it's accurate. I do think it's accurate uh, because, and I think it's accurate because of what George would write about the Carvers and how George would stay in touch with the Carvers and go back and visit them even after he'd moved away. And, uh, there's a, a wonderful scholar in Missouri, Gary Kramer, and he uh, characterized it as almost a sort of benign neglect. Uh, but I, I, I think, and maybe he might agree with this too, but I, I think it was just a little bit more than that because 
you know, George and his brother Jim, they were young. You know, they were kids, uh, children growing up with the Carvers. And so the Carvers actually did, uh, you know, make sure that they were clothed, fed, uh, had a, a, a warm place to stay. They lived with them. And, uh, in fact, it was even uh, Susan Carver who got old Speller uh, to help George learn how to read. And so, uh, you know, I, I think there was a real affinity uh, that went both ways between uh, the Carvers and uh, uh, George Carver. So much of George's childhood was shaped by the fact that he was a sickly child, that he struggled with, with different ailments. And that meant that he wasn't strong enough to go work in the fields and, and be a farmhand. So he stuck really close to the family home. He worked with Susan a lot and other women in the kitchen and the home. And that's something that really shaped him. Tell me more about that. It, 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 it shaped him immensely. Uh, his time with Susan Carver, learning how to uh, play, you know, work with the plants in the garden, uh, learning how to uh, cook in the kitchen, you know, all the things that would later, he would later rely on to help support himself, he learned from an early age working with Susan Carver. And uh, I think those are some of the things, you know, we'll probably get to this, but for example, when he moved to uh, Winterset, he opened a laundry. And it was something that he did growing up in the Carver homestead, you know, assisting with the laundry. And uh, yeah, it was just, he was allowed, because of his, his sickness, and, and unhe- you know, not being so healthy, he was able to spend time alone in the woods. Uh, he was able to explore his own interests with plants and flowers. And yeah, I think it really inspired him. Now, I, I hope that anybody who has an interest in George Washington Carver uh, would make a trip to the George Washington Carver National Monument in Diamond, Missouri, because it's it's really an incredible museum, and it is on the place where he grew up with the Carver family. And when George was a child, he spent so much of his time in the woods learning about plants and learning about developing different uses for plants, developing dyes and paints from plants. And it's such a a magical place. So much of it has been preserved in its natural state I know that you have been there many times. Tell me what it's like for you to walk those trails and be in the same place that George Carver was as a young child. It was really moving. I mean, I I lived there for, I believe, right around five years when I was with the Carver Birthplace Association. And so my office was right on the ground. And at one point, I actually lived in housing uh, right on the ground. And it was just such a Fascinating place to think, you know, that this was where, as a little boy, George Washington Carver ran around, where he played in the creek, where he fished in the pond, and, and really where he was able to allow his imagination to grow. It was in those you know, fields where he took the berries and made his paints, you know, where he took twigs and made paintbrushes, where he, uh, you know, painted on burlap sacks out in the fields. And so it's just such an inspiring place to know that he walked there. And I learned things, you know, for example, I didn't imagine that growing up, uh, that he would grow up with snow. And, you know, when I was there and it would snow in the winter, I thought, I did not, you know, it, it was just such an interesting, but it's small thing, but to think of little George running around playing in the snow, 
you know, like kids do. And so it's just such a, it, it's a neat place. And it was also very neat because of the many visitors who would come. You know, uh, Carver, so many people are inspired by Carver. And he, he inspired so many different, you know, such a diverse array of folks uh, for a diverse array of reasons. And so, you know, the scientists love him, uh, the educators love him, uh, creative folks love him. And so it's just such a, such a, it was an interesting place to be. Paxton, we're going to have to take a short break. We'll be back in just a moment. We are talking about George Washington Carver. Today is the very first George Washington Carver Day in Iowa. Every February 1st from now on will be designated George Washington Carver Day. And I'm talking with Paxton Williams about Carver's life and his legacy. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from Orchestra Iowa. Presenting Pops on the River, an outdoor concert experience with songs from the Eagles featuring the Seven Bridges Band and the entire symphony. June 1st at McGrath Amphitheater. Tickets at orchestraiowa.com. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Today is the very first George Washington Carver Day in Iowa. Last June, Governor Reynolds signed a bill that designated every February 1st as George Washington Carver Day. And so today we are talking about George Washington Carver, the man. He was a botanist. He revolutionized agriculture in the South. He did so many things. He was a true Renaissance man, and he also pursued his higher education in Iowa at both Simpson College and Iowa State University. With me right now is Paxton Williams. He's an attorney at Bell & McCormick Law Firm in Des Moines. He's also the former executive director of the George Washington Carver Birthplace Association in Diamond, Missouri. He has been portraying George Washington Carver in one-man shows since 2000 and has portrayed him more than 400 times in 24 U.S. states and in England. And Paxton, just before the break, we were talking about what it's like to go to the George Washington Carver National Monument and to see the place where George Washington Carver began to learn and developed his relationship with nature and began to understand plants and nature and set his imagination on fire, really looking at the world. I, th I think that he's a man who looked at the world in, in ways that, that most other people can only dream of. Um, you mentioned earlier that Susan Carver, she was in many ways George's adoptive mother. His He was born into slavery, but his mother was abducted before he ever knew her, and he was raised by the Carver family, Susan and Moses Carver. And Susan taught George how to read and spell. That helped to ignite his love of learning. In Missouri, in the 1860s or maybe even early 1870s, what did George have to do to pursue an education? Because he desperately wanted to learn. He definitely did want to learn. And to learn, he had to leave home. Uh, he was not able to attend the school that was near Diamond Grove uh, because of his race. And so that's when Susan uh, taught him. And then when he was in his early teens, perhaps, again, we're not exactly certain of his age, he left home. And he went to the town of Neosho, uh, where there was what was known then as a, a colored school. Um, and that's where Carver went. And he lived with the family, the Watkinses, who 
actually just happened to live right next door to the school. They did not know him. Uh, they just happened to see him kind of waiting outside the schoolhouse one day, uh, and they were just asking what he was doing. And they realized that he'd come from Diamond Grove, didn't have any uh, family in Neo Show. They took him in, uh, and he helped all, them out around the house. And so uh, he had to travel to get an education from an early age, and he never forgot that. And so he always thought to share what he learned. He always thought to make education available to others. Uh, and it was just a, a very fascinating part of the story that as, as a young kid, you know, he would leave home because he cared so much about wanting to know more, wanting to learn about the world and to explore his interests. And and it's so amazing to, th- I mean, I know that at that day and age, People did things at different ages, but for this young boy to leave home and really live independently from there until the end of his life because he felt so passionately about pursuing an education. He, uh, of course, was not a man of means. He lived in a country where he was discriminated against because of the color of his skin. So pursuing a higher education was not an easy task. He tried to go to college in Kansas. He was accepted, but then when he showed up, he wasn't allowed to learn, right? That was a great disappointment to him, yes. And and that was because of his race. How did he wind up yeah. in Iowa? That's a great question, Charity. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh Carver, he, so he tried to uh he tried to homestead for a while in Kansas. Uh that also he was not successful at homesteading, and so uh, this was out in Beeler, Kansas. Then he headed back to Kansas City, and he worked at the Union Station. And you know, we know he worked at the Union State, you know, the, the train depot. And he was there. And for reason uh, we've not been able to find, uh, he decided to get on a train and head north. And he ended up in Winterset, Iowa. And he ended up in Winterset in 1888. He arrived there, and uh, he was just welcomed into the community. Like he met folks who encouraged him, who uh, he, he got a job at the Schultz Hotel. Uh, he helped uh, cook and he helped do laundry at the hotel. And he was just, he was there. And he uh, went to the Winterset, uh, he went to a church in Winterset. And it was there he met the Millhollands. Uh, they heard him singing in the choir. Uh, Mrs. Millholland made her husband invite George over to lunch. And then he would have a lunch weekly with the Millhollands, and it was the Millhollands who actually told him about Simpson College uh, and encouraged him to go there. He went to Simpson College, and we know George Washington Carver as a scientist. Uh, he loved art, he loved music, and he went to Simpson College because he wanted to be an artist, right? Yes, yes. And I think that's really important because he, I mean, he enjoyed art. He was good at art. Uh, but it was at Simpson that his teacher, Etta Budd, who actually only taught at Simpson the year that she taught Carver. Oh, wow. She was only there for one year. And uh, she, you know, she thought, hey, you're good at art, but you might have, a trou- you might have trouble supporting yourself as an artist. And so uh, it was Etta Budd who recommended that Carver uh, instead go to the Iowa State College at the time. And her father was on the faculty there, and she could tell from his drawings uh, and from a garden that he had, that he had a way with plants and flowers. And so she thought, you know, you might do well there. And 
he listened to her and and thought she made a lot of sense and and that and and he left. Yeah. He went to Iowa State University, and I mean, he's one of the most famous graduates of Iowa State University. The university is very proud uh, that he attended there. He was the first black student. He was the first black faculty member and is rightly very proud. But I feel like sometimes in the pride that, and I'm a cyclone, but in the pride that we take in being the place where George Washington Carver was able to pursue his education... We sometimes don't think about how many challenges he faced in going to Iowa State University. He was not allowed to live in the dormitory. He was not allowed to eat with other students. I mean, he faced daily discrimination on the basis of his race. I feel like that's an important part of the story. What do you think we need to know about that? You know, I think we just need to learn all we can about his actual existence. Uh, because I think that is that's where the beauty comes in uh, from all of his life. You know, the struggle helped define him. Uh, it helped uh, the it helps kind of show all that he was able to accomplish when you put it in the context. You know, I like to say that you know Carver achieved so much without any hint of self congratulation, and he went through so much without any hint of self pity. And, and I really think the the actual examples of what he did uh, could be really enlightening to all of us, uh, just because you know it just helps us understand that the things he actually went through. And then I think by understanding those, we could actually probably uh, more fully appreciate all that he was able to do, and and the manner in which he was able to do what he did. Tell me a little bit about what he did accomplish at Iowa State, because it was very soon that, that a number of people realized how extraordinary he was. So it's fascinating. I, you know, I really think uh, Carver had a real gift for, letting, for, A, sharing his interests, and then people were always inspired to want to assist him. And I think the neat thing about that is you know, these folks did not know that he was going to become a, a famous scientist or educator or inventor. Uh, they just saw him as a person and, you know, knew he had intrinsic worth because he was a person. And he was able to do this, I think, mainly by just becoming a part of the community. Uh, he would uh, help out with the football team. Uh, he would write for the student uh, yearbook. Uh, he would go on nature walks with a, a young Henry A. Wallace, uh, who was the son of his professor, uh, Henry Cantwell Wallace, and he was able to just uh, become a real part of the community. And he did the same thing in Ames and in Simpson. Like his his fellow students loved him. Uh, they would go out of their way, many of them, to make sure that he felt invited to do things. Uh, and and I think in part it was just in large measure because he was there. Uh, he allowed himself to take part in the life of the community, and and I think that really inspired people to welcome him. He excelled at Iowa State. He went on to graduate school at Iowa State. As I remember, I mentioned he was the first member of the faculty, first black member of the faculty at Iowa State University. And he was encouraged to stay at Iowa State, but he didn't. What do we know about why he chose to go to Tuskegee? It's so, this is fascinating. Uh, Carver really 
uh, enjoyed his time at Iowa State. You know, as you mentioned, he received his bachelor's degree in 1894 from there. Uh, he was put in charge of the greenhouse and joined the faculty while he worked on his master's degree, uh, which he received in 1896. Uh, he wrote a thesis uh, entitled, a thesis entitled Plants as Modified by Man. And so he was, he was in a place where he was academically able to thrive, uh, he was getting a, a wonderful education, and he actually thought, and we know, we know what he thought because he, he, he writes about it, he wrote about it, and he could not resist Booker T. Washington's call to come to the South to help uh, many folks, you know, uh, a generation or so away from the end of slavery. And uh, he remembered what he learned uh, growing up about sharing his education and about uh, you know, doing what he could to help uplift the race. And really, that's what inspired him to leave, leave Iowa and go to Tuskegee. And it, I mean, it was, it was a really interesting, uh, interesting change for him. Uh, you know, he, he wrote about it. And, and if I can remember, he, he said, and hopefully this isn't too long, but uh, he said something along the lines of, you know, when my train left uh, the golden wheat fields and tall green corn of Iowa for the acres of cotton, nothing but cotton, my heart sank a little. The scraggly cotton grew close up to the cabin doors. A few lonesome collards, the only sign of vegetables. Stunted cattle, bony mules, fields and hillsides cracked and scarred with gullies and deep ruts. Not much evidence of scientific farming anywhere. Everything looked hungry. The land, the cotton, and the people. And when he said when he said that, I mean, it was clear that he knew that he was making a real change when he got south. Uh, you know, he got to the south and got to Tuskegee, uh, and and that had its challenges. And in the same way he wrote about his time in Iowa, he wrote about his time in Tuskegee. Uh, you know, sharing those challenges. I'm talking with Paxton Williams about George Washington Carver on this first ever George Washington Carver Day in Iowa, and. Paxton, I think a lot of Iowans probably learn about George Washington Carver during Black History Month and then forever after think of him as the peanut guy. Um, he was so much more than the peanut guy. And and it's hard to sum up all that he did. He worked tirelessly at, at Tuskegee. He was a humble man who worked incredibly hard for not a lot of uh, financial remuneration but he also became incredibly well-known. He was a very, very famous man. Try to, to sum up, when you think about George Washington Carver and the work that he did, tell me what you feel he was able to accomplish. He was able to accomplish a particular goal, and he used a number of different avenues to achieve that goal. Now, I think when he left Iowa, his main goal was to do what he could to help to improve the health and living conditions of the Southern farmer. Uh, I think that's why he worked with peanuts and sweet potatoes. You know, he worked with crops that they could grow to help support themselves, uh, crops that they could uh, store up so they wouldn't have to, to, to pay money for various crops at different times of the year. And he was able to do this, you know, by the power of his own perseverance, right? And he did it, A, with his scientific work, 
but he, he did it by traveling around the country. He did it by meeting just so many people. I mean, Carver had a global impact. And, and in many ways, it was because they saw what he was doing. They saw his creativity. They loved his creativity. And, and, and I really think, again, he was really trying to only do one thing, uh, but he used various different avenues to, to A, uh, improve the health and living conditions of the Southern farmer. You know, part of that is, is, is trying to create a more just society. And, and he did that by being an example, uh, you know, by, by reaching out to uh, the, the larger white community. You know, many folks from the larger white community came to Carver for advice, for assistance. And, and, he, and by doing so, you know, he was showing them that African-Americans are, are full people, too. And so, I, you know, I think he, he really was able to, to affect change in a positive way uh, by, by being himself and by doing the things that he loved. He also had such a, a deep understanding of the land and connection to nature. His approach to agriculture was holistic, and it was an approach that, that not only would allow the people who were working the land to survive, but also it would leave the land better than when they started. He was I mean, one of the first proponents of what we call sustainable agriculture now. Correct. I mean, he has this wonderful quote where he said, uh, whenever the soil is rich, the people flourish physically and economically. Wherever the soil is wasted, the people are wasted. A poor soil produces only a, a poor people. And he really thought intently about how to help the soil, how to help the land, how to help people uh, cultivate the land in, in better, more efficient ways. And, he, I mean, he really... Sometimes we, I think we don't appreciate that, but really that's why he turned to the peanut. You know, the, the boll weevil had just about decimated the cotton crops, and uh, the cotton farmers, they were already seeing reduced yields. And so Carver said, hey, if the folks plant uh, legumes, peanuts, pot-bearing plants, these can put nitrogen back in the soil. And so he didn't just study the peanut or work on the peanut because he thought, oh, this is a great, you know, I like peanuts. It was because a, it was nutritious and it could also do a lot to help the soil. And so, you know, I think sometimes we we lose exactly why he did what he did. Uh, but I think that's just as important as what he did. I'm talking with Paxton Williams. He is an attorney in Des Moines, but he is also a George Washington Carver historian. And he has researched his life, written about his life and portrayed George Washington Carver many, many times since 2000. We are going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a moment. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer. 
It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Today is the very first George Washington Carver Day in Iowa. From this day forward, every February 1st will be known as George Washington Carver Day. Carver is only the third person to be honored this way in the state of Iowa. The others are Herbert Hoover and Norman Borlaug. And this hour, we're talking about George Washington Carver's life and his legacy. And uh, we're going to get back to Paxton Williams in, in just a moment. But I want to take a moment to play a fairly rare recording. There are a few recordings of George Washington Carver's voice, his unique voice. He had an unusual, very high voice, which you'll hear in a moment. But this is also a moment to think about how very introspective and genuine he was. This is an excerpt from an interview that was recorded in 1939 with Glenn Clark, and we pulled this excerpt from the PBS animated series Blank on Blank. Sometimes it is uh, wise not to look for too much appreciation. The main thing is to be sure you're right and go ahead, regardless of whether people appreciate it or whether they don't, because in time, they will appreciate it. So simply be sure that you are on the right road. We were just listening to the voice of George Washington Carver. That was recorded in 1939. And we have just a few minutes left with Paxton Williams, who has studied George Washington Carver and portrayed George Washington Carver in his one-man show many, many times over the years. And Paxton, this is the very first George Washington Carver Day in Iowa. What do you think it means to dedicate a day to celebrate the legacy of this man? I think it means a lot. I think for this state that Carver had such a fond affection for, uh, it does a couple things. It honors Carver, uh, and I think Carver's totally deserving of, of any honor we could give him. But I think it also honors the Iowa and the people who welcomed him, the people who you know welcomed him into their communities, who encouraged him. You know, he came here. Uh, he was not in, in the, you know, the most happy time of his life. You know, he'd suffered a number of defeats. He'd suffered a number of tragedies in his life. But, you know, we talked about his early childhood. He'd, meant, he'd, he'd witnessed a lynching earlier uh, when he was in Fort Scott, Kansas. Uh, he'd been turned away from a school because of his race, a school, a college in Kansas. But it was in Iowa that he was able to really begin anew. And so as, as much as I think we honor Carver, uh, with the Carver Day, we really honor, I think, an idea, a concept, a spirit uh, that existed here uh, a long time ago. You know, and, and I think in many of our communities, we still see that. And so I, I, I think it's just such a anything that will encourage more people to explore Carver's life, uh, to look at him, you know, to, to look at uh, how he did what he did. And, and how other folks interacted with him. Uh, I, I think that's just a marvelous thing. I, I think that's so important to think about. And, and I think first I think about how fragile his life was and how he really almost died numerous times because of his race. But then there were so many black Americans that were never given the opportunity even to learn to read. So many minds that were never allowed to be cultivated 
that never had the opportunity to pursue their possibilities and and their potential. Um, This day will be celebrated in many ways around the state. Iowa State University is hosting a celebration, and there are many different elements to that. Simpson College is also hosting a celebration. Paxton, how are you marking today? So I will... I'll actually be portraying Carver at Simpson. <laughs> uh, that'll be one thing I'll be doing. And and then I will be attending uh, the event at Iowa State. Uh, and it's such an important day uh, in those places. But if we really think about Carver's legacy here in this state, you know, from his time in Winterset to, you know, the fact that he, he was in Cedar Rapids, for an awards program, and, and from that uh, awards program, two of his paintings were selected to go to the 1893 World's Fair in Chicago. And so I, I think there should be just excitement every every place. Paxton Williams, thank you oh, thanks, so much. Thank you, thank you. And, and if I may, could I just uh, share his ep- epitaph? Yes, please. And it is uh, a gospel of self-forgetting service. Uh, No, a life that stood out is a gospel of self-forgetting service. He could have added fortune to fame, but caring for neither, he found happiness and honor in being helpful to the world. That is beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Paxton Williams has been portraying George Washington Carver in one-man plays since the year 2000. He'll be performing Listening to the Still Small Voice, the story of George Washington Carver, this afternoon at 2 p.m. at the Amy Robertson Music Building as part of Simpson College's celebration of George Washington Carver Day. Iowa State University will host its George Washington Carver Day celebration at 5 p.m. this evening at the Great Hall of the Memorial Union. Those who have not yet RSVP'd can attend virtually you can find more information at news.iastate.edu. This is the first annual George Washington Carver Day in Iowa. He's only the third Iowan to be honored this way. And Simon Estes, internationally renowned opera star and faculty member at Iowa State University, and Ambassador Kenneth Quinn, president emeritus of the World Food Prize Foundation, were the driving forces behind getting this designation. The legacy of George Washington Carver is an important part of Iowa State University. His name lives on in many ways, most importantly, perhaps, through the George Washington Carver program, which provides 100 full tuition scholarships for incoming undergraduate multicultural first-year students and and really builds a community with these students. And my next guest was involved in that program and also carried on Carver's legacy as the George Washington Carver Endowed Chair. He is an emeritus professor in the Department of Agronomy. Andrew Manu is here with me now. Hello. Hello. Miss Charity. Well, thank you so much for being here today. And before you came to Iowa State University in 2002, you had been working in Niger, in Africa. What did you know about George Washington Carver when you were offered this position? Well, I heard about George Washington Carver when I was in high school because somebody, uh, I'm from Ghana originally, and somebody came to Ghana and set up a high school called George Washington Carver High School. And I applied to go there. I got admission and my parents got excited that I was going to leave home from the village to go to the city. Unfortunately, it didn't pan out. Mm. But 
I did not know about all what Kava had achieved, the impact he's had on the world, until I came to Iowa State University as a graduate student. When you became the George Washington Carver Endowed Chair, you took a lot of inspiration from Carver and his work in many ways. And in one of those ways was you wanted to emulate his passion for teaching. Tell me about that. Well, there's something that I learned about this man. He was a gifted teacher, as we have heard so far. He did not attempt to demonstrate that he had an, a superior knowledge of what he was teaching. But he had this passion. We just heard his voice. It wasn't any uh, booming voice, high-pitched voice. But he was a showman who, whose lectures and writings were just direct. I wanted to be that way. I, so I thought, he, I'm not as big as Carver, but my impact can be as great if I can emulate what he's uh, he stood for, which is being selfless and dedicated to his students. That, that is a, a beautiful inspiration. And you also have spoken often about his legacy in agriculture. What do you feel his legacy is in agriculture now? Oh, this is immense, immense, because if I look at what he did, what he took from Iowa to the South. And if you look at, as a soil scientist, let me talk in terms of soils. Mm -hmm. The soil I saw in my part of the world can be compared to the soils in the South. These soils have been sitting for millions of years. In Iowa, the soils, if I look at its last derived soils, it could be as young as 13,000 years ago, which in geological terms is yesterday. But he took technology from here, took it to the south in terms of developing the soils through the use of legumes uh, that can fix nitrogen through the rhizobia, with the rhizobia benefiting from the atmospheric nitrogen incorporating it into themselves, but, but then they are also hiding. They are getting free uh, room and board from the plants, and this nitrogen from the air is incorporated into the soil when the plant dies. This kind of transformation of the soil, th these days we talk about soil health. If I can, people will permit me, I'll say, George started this revolution of soil health because he said if the soil is healthy, the people will be so uh, healthy. And that's exactly what he did. And this is what some of the inspirations I get from George Washington Carver. So much of what you're saying is something that I hear from people in Iowa today who are working so hard to share the gospel of cover crops and and yes. share this information with everyone. So I mean, many people are still trying to teach 
what George Washington Carver understood and taught. Yes, exactly. Because at that time, it wasn't kosher. It wasn't something that was in vogue. But his dream to make life better through the soil or something that will live on forever and ever, as long as we are doing agriculture on the soil. Let's talk about his legacy at Iowa State University, because you, in your career, were such an important part of that um, with your endowed chair, but also you worked with the George Washington Carver program, which does bring in so many students every year. Tell me what you feel his legacy is at ISU. What we wanted to do, or what the Iowa State wanted to do, because uh, there's one thing, as we heard from uh, Attorney Williams, is that this Iowa State University, Go Cyclones, and the state of Iowa had a vision. Because as Cover said, where there's no vision, there's no hope. These two entities had the vision to bring him here, to nurture him, educate him, and give him a job. We want to build on this momentum and bring students here. So every year, we bring, we give 100 full tuition scholarships to incoming U.S. ethnic minority freshmen. And these are people who are coming directly out of high school. And they can be in any major. Now, this group, they work as cohorts. And we have a faculty council from all the colleges. And I'm glad to say that I served as chair and professor in charge of this council from 2016 to my retirement last year. We work together with the Multicultural Students Affairs to nurture uh, these cohorts, and we challenge them when they are not living up to their potential. We uplift them when they are down or down-spirited, and encourage them when they are having a hard time adjusting to their new environment at Iowa State. I must say, this program has turned out some of the highest-ranked graduates uh, in the nation. Just one example. When I think of Mr. Elon Musk, I, I don't think of maybe Twitter or any other thing, but I think of the SpaceX program. And I'm proud to say, Iowa State has produced two graduates who are high-ranking officials or scientists of the SpaceX program, and they all came from this George Washington Carver's Collective and Academy. We only have about one minute left. What do you think yes, his greatest legacy is? We've talked about his legacy in agriculture and his legacy at Iowa State. What do you think the most important thing is to know about him? I think the thing I'll tell uh, students, and this is a legacy that I see, is that George had the will to succeed. He didn't have many choices 
about what to do. But now students should know that they have choices uh, to shape their future and the society. That will to succeed is something that is a legacy that the kids should uh, take along. And they also know that George lived to save others. And if we can have that mindset and knowing that we are going to treat everybody the same and build society so that the future generation can benefit from it, I think this is a great legacy that George can leave us. Andrew Manu, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you. Andrew Manu is Emeritus Professor of Agronomy at Iowa State University and retired as the George Washington Carver Endowed Chair. Today is the first annual George Washington Carver Day in Iowa. He is the third Iowan to receive this honor after Herbert Hoover and Norman Borlaug. Iowa State University will host its George Washington Carver Day celebration at 5 p.m. in the Great Hall of the Memorial Union. Those who have not yet RSVP'd can attend virtually. You can find more information at news.iastate.edu. And Simpson College will have a day filled with events honoring Carver, including Paxton Williams' performance at 2 p.m. in the Music Building. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe.